Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us today. Help us now as we listen and hear to understand what you're saying. Help me to speak faithfully. And may your spirit guide our hearts and minds to respond in faithfulness, in trust and obedience. In your name we pray. Amen. You may want to look up the passage. It's helpful to follow it. It's on page 1044 in the Church Bibles, Luke 12, 13 to 21. This um, Friday is Black Friday. Are you aware of that? Have you, have you, have you seen some of the adverts? Um, you know, special deals, get, get your big TV now, your 55-inch TV or your 58-inch TV or your 70-inch TV or your however big your house can take TV. Um, get your iPhone 14, 15, 16, whatever it is, um, your, your coffee machine, your PlayStation 5 or 20, your, whatever it is, get these things now, special bargains. And we're blasted with this all the time, up with these adverts. And they're kind of saying to us a message, actually, an attitude to life. And it's all about get more possessions, have more stuff. Happiness will come when you have an abundance of stuff in your house. But is it really like that? As, as this um, beginning Black Friday is trying to kickstart the, the Christmas buying season, it's like it's a ballooning of consumerism. And Jesus' words in our passage act like a pin to the balloon, don't they? He says in um, verse 15, Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You won't have life by having stuff. You can't buy a good life. But it's important to see where this comes um, in terms of the conversation that Jesus is having, Jesus is actually, at this point in chapter 12, he's teaching large crowds, um, and he's actually teaching about the end of times, um, next week's Advent Sunday, um, and we focus on the end of times when Christ will return. He's talking about how those that follow Christ and stand for him, no matter what the world says, will be blessed, and he'll, he'll stand for them in front of God and the angels. It warns that God will judge you, and you should fear him because he can send you to hell. He's warning about the end of times, and this man comes up and has a question. And maybe Jesus is thinking, great, a, a question. People want to know more about this kind of thing. And the man says, uh, Jesus, can you help me out? My brother is sort of being a bit dodgy with the inheritance. Um, can you tell him to share it properly? And maybe Jesus is thinking, oh, he's not listening to the sermon. He's paid no attention whatsoever. He wants me to help him out with this, his problem with his inheritance. It's quite a common problem, isn't it? I mean, I'm, you're probably aware of, of families that you know where there's been disputes and arguments over inheritance. Maybe it's even been true in your family. After all, an inheritance these days could be the biggest amount of money you ever get. I mean, if someone dies and sells a house, it could be hundreds, two hundreds, millions of pounds. No wonder people argue over it. But often it damages families, it damages relationships. And Jesus, in his wisdom, doesn't want to get into this kind of argument over money. But he says this instead, he wants different arguments about money. He actually wants to challenge our attitude and our hearts. And so Jesus says a very strong warning. Do you notice how strong it is? Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
He's not saying you're trying to avoid greed. That's sort of a very English way of putting it, isn't it? Watch out. Be on your guard. It's like, like a lion roaring around to get you. Be careful. And actually, as you go through the New Testament, um, greed is consistently condemned as one of the worst of sins. You, you often find lists of um, sins in the New Testament, and they talk about sexual immorality and gossip and um, fit, um, arguments and everything else. And greed is often there as one of the ones that is judged by God and one of the ones that we're called to, to get rid of from our lives as Christians. The New Testament is consistent. Greed is a big problem. Don't let your hearts be grabbed by it. And Jesus goes on to ram the point home by telling um, this parable, and it's, it's a very simple parable, isn't it? Um, we used to read it to our children, but it's a sort of children's book form of it. It's a bit more colourful and fun than the one Jesus tells, but, but basically it's the same message. There's this man, he's already rich, we're told that, and then he has a bumper crop, he gets even more money. It's like winning the lottery or getting a big payout from your shares or something. And he's got all this stuff, all this corn, and the only problem he can see is that he hasn't got enough space to store it. So he thinks to himself, I know what I'll do, I'll, I'll tear down my barns and build even bigger ones. Then I'll have so much stuff that I can live out my days, I can eat, drink and be merry, and life will be great. And then God says, you fool. You fool. This is completely and utterly ridiculous. Your attitude is totally wrong. So what is Jesus trying to show us with this parable? What is, what is foolish about this greed, this attitude to money that the man in the parable shows and actually the man that's asking the question to Jesus also shows? Well, three points I want to make. First of all, it's a kind of solitary activity. Now, you might notice in the man in the story, um, there's only one man in the story, isn't there? There's no one else for him to engage with or interact with. Almost all the other parables, there's a, there's a group of people, but this one is just one person. Uh, and, and do you notice that he does a lot of talking to himself? I don't know if you talk to yourself. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but, but when you're only talking to yourself, um, there's a bit of an issue, isn't there? Uh, and do you notice that he's not just talking to himself, but it's all about himself? Um, so as you go through it, he says, look... Um, he says, um, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will lay down my, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, now here he stopped using, stopped using the word I. But remember, he's talking to himself. Okay, and he says, you, <laughs> talking to himself. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This man is completely and utterly solitary. He's completely and utterly self-focused, self-obsessed, self-centered, selfish. No one else gets a look in when he's thinking about what to do with his money. And that is what greed makes of us. It makes us self-focused, self-obsessed, selfish. It becomes all about me and not about anyone else. Is it any wonder that Apple chose to call their brand new mobile iPhone? I 
And when we become so selfish and so, so focused, it destroys our relationships. The man that comes to Jesus worried about his inheritance. Why was he worried about his inheritance? Because he wanted the money. It exposed the attitude of his heart as being greed. And the danger was it was going to destroy his family relationships with his brother. As it so often and so frequently does today. Paul says in Timothy, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Greed destroys relationships. Greed isolates you. Greed makes you solitary by yourself, cut off from others. And you put money as more important than anyone else. And do we as Christians so easily fall into the same kind of traps? Or are we willing to be generous with our money? John Wesley famously said, um, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Do we give all we can? Or just enough to salve our conscience? Do we care about others when we think about our money? So the man was solitary in his attitude, but secondly, he was temporary in his attitude. Um, When God speaks to him, he says, you fool. Remember, he's talking about how he's going to enjoy the rest of his life. He says, you fool, this very night, you're going to die. Then who's going to get all your stuff? Actually, when we look at life from the point of view of death, then what good is our, are our possessions? How will a PlayStation 5 help you into eternity? How will an iPhone enable you to communicate with the God who can give you eternal life? A coffee machine may keep you awake for the day, but it won't keep you awake through death itself. We live in a world where we like to forget that life is temporary. We live in a world where our life expectancy is far greater than it used to be. We, we, most of us expect to live to our 80s, our 90s, and there's people here that are doing that, which is great. But we will all, day one face, all, one, we will all one day face death. Life is temporary. And for those who sadly find themselves in a situation where they're told that their life isn't going to last much longer. They often say that their attitudes and perspective on life completely changes. The things that seem so important no longer seem important. And actually, from the perspective of eternity, how important is or are our possessions? The man who comes to Jesus has been ignoring what Jesus has been saying about eternity, about the hope of being... Um, presented to God and the angels as belonging to Christ and the glory that will be, he ignores all that and is worried about his finances now. And yet Jesus says, store up your riches in heaven. You see, if we really have that eternal focus in our hearts and our minds, that eternal perspective in our lives, then we'll have a different attitude to how we use our money and our possessions, not using it for our present comforts, but for God's eternal purposes. It says in the Psalms, Psalm 39, 
Show me, O Lord, my life's ends and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. We need to have the right perspective on life to realize that it is temporary. But greed stops us doing that. It focuses on the here and now rather than the life evermore. The hope that we can have through Christ. So greed forces us into a solitary attitude, into a temporary attitude, but also into an attitude of idolatry. Notice how the man um, pays no attention to God when he's reasoning with himself. And at the end, Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever, sh- sh- sorry, whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. You see, so easily, the running after possessions, the running after wealth, the running after the comforts of this life become more important to us than, they, than God is. And when that happens, they take the place of God. The man that comes to Jesus, um, he comes to Jesus talking about God, talking about the future, talking about hope, and all he's worried about is finances. And actually, all he's worried about is using God's, using Jesus to get more finances. And sometimes people come to church, become Christians, not because they want to focus and serve God, but because actually they think that somehow they'll get richer as a result, and you get the prosperity gospel preaching and so on in some churches. No. God will bless us in so many ways, but he's not to be used for our financial profits. When we put money above God, it is idolatry, and idolatry is one of the worst of sins, if not the worst. It makes this very clear in Colossians 3, where it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So we need to put God above money in our lives. We need to ask ourselves, what does God want me to do with my wealth? And yes, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be fed well and your family to be fed well. He wants you to have a warm home and a stable home and no leak in the roof. (laughs) He wants those things for you. Of course, we should spend our money on those things. But actually, are there other things we should be spending money on to do with God that we're not? Are we really being rich towards God? Let me give you three um, areas where I think we maybe should think about being rich towards God. First, that area is actually the care for God's world. This week we've had COP27, haven't we, and nations meeting together to discuss how we can deal with climate change. And actually, one of the things that stops coming up with a solution is concerns over money. Who is willing to pay the price to move away from fossil fuels, to fuels towards green energy? Who is willing to pay the price to insulate people's homes so we don't need to do enough, use enough too much energy? People don't want to pay the price. Governments don't want to ask their populations to pay the price because they feel they'll be voted out. It's greed that gets in the way of sorting out the climate problem. And it's greed that's caused the climate problems because we, we make so much stuff that we don't need that we emit more and more um, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. As Christians, we believe that we serve the one who created the earth, who made the earth. It belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
Surely as Christians, we should be concerned about the care for creation. We should be more concerned than anyone else about climate change. And don't we believe that God has put us on this earth to care for it? That's what it says in Genesis 2, doesn't it? Are we willing to make sacrifices of our finances, of our possessions, in order to have a better world for everyone, for our children and grandchildren? Or actually are we too fond of gathering more and more of stuff? Being rich towards God, I think, means caring for God's world. Secondly, being rich towards God, I think, means caring for God's people. When you become a Christian, you become a son of God, a child of God. That's amazing, isn't it? The downside is you get brothers and sisters of God. You become part of a church family. And that's actually often a blessing and a joy, but it can be a challenge as well, can't it? But actually, one of the challenges is this. If they're truly our family then shouldn't we wanting, be wanting to care for them? Even to be generous towards them. That can happen in small ways, in, informally, within a church family, and I hope it does, and particularly maybe looking out for those in particular need. It can happen in more organised ways locally, like food clubs and, and food banks and warm spaces and so on. But also surely it matters that we've got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. We hear so much about how hard it is in this country at the moment on the news, and yes, okay, things are getting worse, but, but actually in some parts of the world it's horrific. The war in Ukraine means there's just no food. Are we being generous to our brothers and sisters in parts of the world where we're really struggling? Will we give generously to organisations like Tear Funds to help support those needs and give the aid where it's needed? Are we willing to use our resources to care for God's people? And thirdly, are we used, willing to use God's resources to care for God's money? Sorry, God's mission. My word's mixed up. It's been a long day. Are we willing to use our resources for God's mission? If we believe truly that knowing Jesus is the most important thing in the world if we believe truly that he's the one that can give us hope in the face of death, if we believe truly that knowing him means we can become children of God, forgiven and having a relationship with him, then surely we should want more and more to know that truth. And that happens when we have effective churches, church communities, effective um, teaching and preaching. But if we're honest, we know that the church in this country is in decline. We know that the resources are getting spread thinner and thinner and becoming less and less effective. There's less people to give. And unless those that are left are willing to give more generously, the decline will continue. But if we're willing to actually say we want to make a difference, we want to turn things around, and we're willing to give generously, to turn the tide, to invest in God's mission, to invest in God's work, then I think God will bless that make a difference to our town, our area, our country? Are we being rich towards God? Or just giving enough to salve our conscience? Will we really use our resources to care for God's world, to care for God's people, to care for God's mission? I started off talking about Black Friday 
And, and the danger of Black Friday is that it gives us the attitude that life is found in gaining more possessions, getting the best deal, and so on. It encourages an attitude of greed. As Christians, we shouldn't be focused on Black Friday, but Good Friday. On Good Friday, Jesus gave up everything for us. It says in 1 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We can have those eternal blessings, far better than the material stuff that you can buy today and is broken tomorrow far better than the stuff that you can never take with you beyond death. We can have riches and blessings in God because Jesus was prepared to become poor for us, so poor that he was hanging naked um, horrifically on the cross to die. That is God's generosity to us. Will we be generous in return? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is challenging. We, we live in a world of greed and we find greed comes so naturally to our hearts and yet you warn us so strongly to let, not let us, to, to avoid it. Help us to be rich towards you, to use our resources to care for your people, to care for your creation and to care for your mission. In your name we pray. Amen.